Hey everyone, welcome to you, Andy. Darvin Ham. What would he bring to the table as head coach of the Lakers? We got a scouting report for Ham next. You are locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Locked On Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday. No matter how you get your podcasts, where you get your podcasts, we always have this thing up for you uh, and ready to go. Fresh Lakers content. And if you subscribe to Locked On Lakers on YouTube, you get to see it early, which is kind of a bonus because we are uh, very, very handsome. And uh, if you if you want to listen to another Locked On podcast, make another Locked On podcast your second listen of the day. How about Locked On Bucks? Because that gives you Kane Pittman, one of the co-hosts of Locked On Bucks, uh, who joins us today to talk about Darvin Ham. Uh, get a little scouting report on him as the Lakers get closer to making a decision on their head coaching position. Darvin, I guess, considered kind of a front runner. Kane, how are you? I'm doing very well, and uh, this is my first appearance on Locked On Lakers. And uh, it's a little bit sad that we're doing this podcast. If you remember back at the start of the season, we did the, uh, I believe they called it Locked On Contenders, and uh, we probably both would have hoped or liked to think that we'd still be doing post-game podcasts, but here we are. We're talking about coaching changes. I mean, we wouldn't have even made the uh, Locked On Playing <laughs> podcast in <laughs> retrospect. Where are you going to be next year? Where, do, where does Locked On Lakers start next year preseason? Ooh. I think a, a, a dash of humility, I think, is probably <laughs> in order. Uh, humility that was not there going into last year. Locked On, you choose for us. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll accept wherever you want to put us. We're just happy to be here. And okay. you know what? I, I would like to talk about that, you know, before the end of the show, because, you know, we, we have obviously spent a lot of time, Kane, trying to figure out exactly where the Lakers go. How bad is it? How, how, how possible is it that they could put this thing back together? But, you know, sometimes the thing that you are staring at all the time, you don't see it as clearly as somebody who is, you know, you know looking at it from Milwaukee or in your case, Melbourne. Um, and so we'd love to get your perspective on that. we got a lot of coaching stuff, though, that we want to talk about. Have you adjusted to the idea that, you know, you may no longer be in the Darvin Ham business? Uh, if it's not the Lakers, it's not, um, you know, it could be Charlotte. What makes Darvin, I think, so appealing to, to teams now that are looking for head coaches? Yeah, it's been a slow burn with Darvin Ham, actually, because even if you go back to uh, Taylor Jenkins, another one of Bud's longtime assistants. He was in the mix there. Charles Lee, another assistant that's been in the mix. And I, I know he was mentioned early days uh, with the mm -hmm. Lakers as well. So it has felt inevitable that Darvin Ham was going to get a job. I think he was one of the finalists or one of the front runners for the Washington job before last season as well. So he's been in the mix for a number of teams. It's interesting that the Lakers might be the opportunity just when you think of what he will be walking into who he will be coaching. Uh, but Darvin Ham is a long, long time assistant. Even if you go back to the old D-League days, he was coaching Albuquerque in the D-League. We, we covered uh, the Lakers teams that he was on Mike Brown's staff for. And, you know, we, yes, we were yes. around Darvin a bit. You know, we both interacted with him. We both thought well of him in those interactions. Wouldn't claim to have gotten to know him extremely well. But I, I speaking for me personally, he was among Mike Brown's assistants, the one that I spoke with the most. Mm -hmm. And I found him really smart. I found him very clear 
in answers that I ever needed from him and information and explanations. And it's interesting just hearing that that in a lot of ways, just the ability to communicate is considered one of his strengths because this was, you know, eight or nine years ago, you could see it with him then. Well, I think that's the interesting part that you, you fellas have sort of been a part of that and seen that up close. I would say the same. I've been back in Australia now basically since the pandemic hit, uh, but we've had him on Lockdown Bucks before. Uh, incredible, oh. com- incredible communicator, the way he speaks. Uh, and there stop is for abs- a second. The Bucks gave you access to an assistant coach to speak to on a podcast. Wow, things work differently <laughs> over there than they do in LA. Well, I will say, I mean, I was, uh, you know, very desperate in my approach to the team. I said, it's a pandemic. These guys have got nothing else to do. Is there any chance we're not even going to talk about the Bucks because there's no games to talk about? I just want to talk about Darvin Ham off the court, his playing career. That was my approach. Uh, I wouldn't say I would have too much success. Uh, nowadays if i tried still that. more but, than we would have had still, i mean my god <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you right now <laughs> I, I would believe that so there's some perks to, to covering the milwaukee bucks but the, they're just but the, lakers are just paranoid it's 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 not a oh, big market small market thing the lakers have become incredibly paranoid this season they were probably uh a little bit concerned that uh there may uh be some things that came out we did have i've got a the show over here in Australia, The Jump. It's an ESPN show, and it may surprise you that Australia took the name The Jump. But anyway, we have The Jump here in Australia. We did have Phil Handy on our show, but uh, there was a reason for that. Andrew Gaze, who Australian basketball legend, obviously had a really good relationship with Phil Handy. So we were able to get him on. Uh, he didn't say much, uh, which wasn't a surprise. But back to Darwin, the point being that if you the number one characteristic of him, you talk about communication, uh, he is so popular with the players. Just unbelievably popular. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed, perhaps looking from afar when I watch at home, he is the number one guy that's communicating with all these guys. They come off the floor. If there's any type of emotional turmoil in the team, which is pretty rare with Milwaukee, but Darwin is always the guy that's talking to those guys. They love him. He's got a super close relationship with Chris Milton. Uh, Giannis as well, the way that they've been able to communicate. So if you ask me one characteristic of how I describe Darvin Ham, I would say players coach and incredibly popular with the guys that uh, that he's been on the sidelines for. And what that that is something that I think comes through with with everybody who talks about him and, and you know all the 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 league insiders, people cover him like you, that that aspect of it. But that's also something that can be very particular to assistant coaches. Like that's one of the mm-hmm. things that every staff wants a guy like that on there that can be a great conduit between the head coach. I think Jason Kidd was actually that guy with the Lakers, the I think so too. Before he uh, got hired by Dallas. How how effectively do you think that skill translates when you move over one seat or two seats from you know lead assistant to head coach? That that communication skill, that uh, ability to be popular with your players. Well, I think the the important element will be who is on the staff with him because if you look at the way that Mike Budenholzer has ran this Milwaukee team, he delegates a lot to the assistants when it comes mm. to opposition, scouting reports, film study, all those types of things. Bud is obviously heavily involved, uh, but he has allowed the assistant coaches to take real responsibility. And then, A, you have the respect of the players because you are the ones that are oftentimes delivering the messages. You are telling them what to expect on the floor. They're talking to you a lot. Uh, but but secondly, uh, I think that Darwin will carry that that traits that, that Bud's had, and he's been with him for a long time, that, yes, he's going to be the head coach, Yes, it's important to have relationships and and 
pushback with the players and also the ability to to stand with them and understand what they're talking about. But secondary, I think that he is a coach that will probably lean on his assistant coaches and say, okay, you guys aren't just here to be friends with the players. You've got real responsibility when it comes to matchups and, and different teams and all those types of things. Speaking of responsibilities, what have you gathered that Darvins have been largely w- with the Bucks either this season or during his time there? Yeah, development and also opposition as well. So if you go back and there's, there's, huh. a, there's, a, there's a few stories there with uh, uh, different ways that Bud's spoken about how he'll conduct film studies and different teams will, uh, different assistant coaches will have different assignments with certain teams and Bud will sit back and he'll be involved uh, obviously with that, but he will trust uh, these, these assistant coaches to do the bulk of the work. That's an interesting combination. First of all, it's interesting just because uh, Darwin was very involved with player development with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you're talking about development, which, you know, development, I think, sometimes gets misperceived as just you're only working with the young guys. You will work yeah, with yeah. veterans in development. But that particular aspect of interacting with the players, but also prepping from scouting. And, you know, an oppo research. I, I think that's just, it's an interesting combination, but one that I also think can really prepare you for being a head coach. Like those are actually two, I think, really useful things to have been really hands-on with. So, and again, not that every situation is going to work out uh, the way it has for Taylor Jenkins. And quite clearly, if you look at the roster demographic of the Memphis Grizzlies and the Los Angeles Lakers, they are not very similar in any way. You but mean they're I, good? But, <laughs> but I would say that, that might be more traditional development if you look at the Memphis Grizzlies. Sure. But but if uh, if you look at the success he's had and, and I would say just the straight-up preparedness to come in and be a, a head coach, it, it doesn't look from afar without covering the Grizzlies like he has missed a beat. I didn't even know who he was when they right, brought him in. Right. I'd never heard of him. He's been phenomenal. I will tell you with Taylor Jenkins, one of the, the best stories that we had or one of the, the, the more amusing clips, and Eric Naim, who covers the team for The Athletic, I think wrote a story about it. Uh, one of Taylor Jenkins' prime roles on the bench was to hold back the players if there was some sort of skirmish on the court. And this man, <laughs> you talk about being prepared for the role. This man, anytime there was even the slightest hint of anything, he was up with his arms out. And Darvin Ham, we've seen him on occasions overtake that role. So let's not overlook that. That's an important role he as had, well for an assistant. He has a very intimidating and square head. I think that is something that should be noted. <laughs> um, I, I you, you know, one of the things that you didn't bring up in in that evaluation of the stuff he's he's been so responsible for is X's and O's. People like to to focus on um, is he the offensive guy? Is he the defensive guy? And all that kind of stuff. I I, I want to get your perspective on how much that stuff matters when you start thinking about coaching staffs and particularly the role of head coaches. And so we'll go there next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by Built Bar. Okay, imagine dipping your finger into a plastic tub of birthday cake frosting. And now imagine getting that birthday cake frosting in a way that is far more civilized and adult and grown up and not gross. But also it's in the form of a bar and only 150 calories and you get 16 grams of protein. That's the birthday cake puff from built. We just got some sent to my house and these are my favorite of all of them. They're a really interesting flavor. They are enrobed, a word that I did not know existed until uh, the birthday cake puff read was sent to me. They are enrobed in 100% white (laughs) chocolate. You've got sprinkles on them and they are a protein infused marshmallow and 
they're infused with collagen protein in particular, which your body absorbs more efficiently. There's tons of health benefits so you can eat healthy, but actually enjoy it. So go to built.com, get the birthday cake puffs. Now go to built.com, use the promo code lock 15, get 15% off your order. Again, promo code locked 15, 15% off at built.com. When you think about the head coach, how, how much do you think just from watching guys over the course of, 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 of following the NBA and covering it, the X's and O's aspect of it being a genius on offense, a genius on defense, or whatever matters when you're the head coach. Uh, I, I think this buck stuff has been interesting to look at that. And you mentioned Jason Kidd earlier. So if you talk about a former assistant, Sean Sweeney, who was, he's the defense guy, Sean Sweeney is the defense guy. And now uh, he went with Jason Kidd to Dallas and they were a really good defensive team. That hasn't necessarily been the case with the Bucks. There isn't one defensive guru. Mm -hmm. There isn't one offensive guru. But I will say that Darwin, to me, is going to come to the Lakers and he will want to be a defensive coach. Now, if you mention Frank Vogel as someone who prioritized defense, unfortunately for the Lakers from the outside, didn't seem that they often had the personnel that perhaps wanted to buy into the the defensive stuff. I don't know. Well, this year they had personnel that even if they bought in completely, they still would have been crap <laughs> on that side of the ball. I mean, that that's that's, that's the next kind of part of this question. Yeah. So, so I guess that's the question for me when I say I, I believe that that's what Darwin will do. One thing that he said, and I was reading a story, I was preparing for this, and this was a couple of years ago when uh, Bud and Darwin and all these guys came to Milwaukee for the first season. He was talking about Budenholzer as a coach. And Darwin said Budenholzer is tedious, but he said he's tedious with a purpose. And it was attention to detail on the defensive end. That was literally the one thing that would Bud would lose the plot about. Fouling, uh, defensive, uh, being in the, in the wrong spots defensively. And, and everyone talks about what the Bucks do. Defensively gave up a lot of threes, all those types of things. But don't think that that wasn't by design i mean it was all by design bud was very specific about what he wanted the defense to do because of the personnel he had because he had Giannis, because he had brooke lopez and because he had a guard that was elite defensively whether it was bledsoe drew holiday whatever so darvin to me that's what he's been around for the last was it 2022 the last 10 years so to me the idea that he wouldn't that he would come to the lakers and all of a sudden go away from that i, I don't think that's going to be the case so i i would say that on offense, there will be freedom, which I think makes sense. When you've got LeBron, when you've got the guys that are talented as they are, they'll do what they want to do probably anyway. But defensively, I think that he is going to demand uh, attention to detail on that end of the floor from day one. How do you think a guy like him who, you know, he's been around a long time as an assistant coach and the 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 reputation he's had for a long time has been with a lot of respect. He's somebody that has been considered paid his dues and frankly has done the assistant thing for too long. And he played in the league and I want to get into that a little bit later, but he's nonetheless never been in that seat before. How do you expect him to go about getting that buy-in, you know, defensively or just period? Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting with coaches because we were talking about, but on our podcast last week and i've always been someone that said for me sitting here analyzing coaches and particularly analyzing assistant coaches and how they're going to translate is is almost it's one of the more ridiculous things you can do because who actually really knows how can i sit here from the couch and tell you which assistant coach is going to be the next head coach it's it's impossible what would i know but what i would say is through 
the years that he's had on the sidelines, uh, whether it was the D League, moving to the NBA, and just the fact that he was he was a role player in the NBA. Yeah. I think that that helps as well because uh, a he, I don't think he's going to be overawed by the opportunity. I don't think he's going to be easily rattled by being on the sidelines and going through some adversity. He's been there before, and secondly, uh, he understands what it's like to. He doesn't have that superstar mentality. He doesn't have that superstar mindset. So I think he's a, actually someone that can cater to the needs, the demands, whatever it may be, of players right up and down the roster. So I think that, to me, there's no sure thing, but I don't see him as someone that's going to be out of his depth uh, by any stretch. And one, one of the things, like we spoke to Kevin Arnovitz uh, at ESPN a, a couple weeks ago now, and kind of when this process was really getting going, Darwin's name was really out there. And Kevin is a huge proponent of of Darvin Ham. And one of the things he thought was true of him, and I think this is particularly important for the Lakers, is that he can kind of plug and play into almost any team um, that you would put in front of him. Not that every team you give him would be a championship caliber team, Mm -hmm. but that he is capable of coaching a development team. He's capable of coaching LeBron and AD. He's, you can kind of put him in any situation and he'll be able to do the job that you're asking to do. Given where the Lakers could be going over the next two years, five years, or whatever in terms of trying to contend, but also probably facing a rebuild at some point. Um, do you agree with that sentiment that he is somebody who can be very flexible with the types of teams um, and the needs that you might have from year to year? I think so. I Just as someone who wants to see him do really well, I do have some concern just of what he's walking into, which I, I think most people do because – even though I say I don't think he's going to be overawed by the situation, given where the Lakers are at, I think that there has to be some awareness that if this doesn't go well, is there going to be any patience with that? Do they see Darvin Ham as a guy that they want to coach now because they want to want to win a championship next year, or they do, or do they see Darvin Ham as potentially a guy that is there for multiple years when perhaps this version of the team isn't there anymore? So I, I think that's the big question because a lot of the times we see these coaches that get their first time role. It's not always for a franchise like the Lakers for uh, LeBron James. And then maybe they don't get another opportunity. So that's only that's that's my major concern with him walking in. I'm not sure how you guys feel about that. I I, I think your hesitance is this is the same as every coach interviewing for this job feels. Yes. I, I feel yes. like you know it is it is difficult to assess exactly what kind of leeway and i think you know it's it's interesting and maybe you know we could probably continue this a little bit after the break like genie bus it was in the reporting that came out this week on the athletic for example it was made very clear that genie is stepping kind of outside of this process and her main job is she feels is proving and showing to candidates that the that the organization is going to give them all the support that they need to be championship caliber whether that's staff uh, support staff, um, any of those other things. And I think a lot of that comes from, Andy, maybe you disagree, but I think a lot of that basically is the, is a direct result of the Frank Vogel stuff, of of not giving him an extension after the title and then giving him one year after you let him dangle and then firing him uh, basically via tweet before uh, he hears it before the fourth quarter is over in the last game of the season. That to me is all this is, is that kind of damage control. Well, the only part I disagree is that I don't think it's just Frank Vogel. It's everything that's led up to Frank Vogel, the hiring process of Frank Vogel, which in and of itself was a complete 
bleep show and you know Frank Vogel's introductory press conference was an absolute farce because the team had been going through all this chaos and they had never addressed anything. So all the questions went to Rob Malinka and barely any went to Vogel. He was an afterthought at his own presser and he handled it really well. But it, it speaks to the problems. And then you go back to Luke Walton, Byron Scott, Mike D'Antoni, Mike Brown, and this revolving door that's gone on ever since Phil Jackson. And it's just given this indication that they don't know what they want in a coach or how much they actually even care who the coach is or how much they think it matters. And I'm sure this is something that Jeannie has to, if not, you know, outwardly assuage, like it's certainly a vibe she needs to give off. Like, Hey, we care. We value you. We are going to support you. You know, and can I, mean, from, from your perspective, as somebody who's covering the Eastern conference, you know, looks in on the Lakers and look, you know, uh, but isn't, you know, immersed in the day-to-day of this stuff when we get back from the break i'm really curious as to like your perception of the lakers job because that's another it's a topic that we've spent a lot of time talking about on our show but again living here i'm wondering if the perspective is a little bit different so we'll do that next locked on lakers brought to you by bet online betonline.net your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info find all the latest sports developments league reviews and news including NBA playoffs, baseball, boxing, NFL futures, and more. There are odds up right now. You can predict where Russell Westbrook will play next, if not the Lakers. I'm sure for a lot of Laker fans, they don't even care about the odds. They just want him on a different team. But if you're looking to actually make a little money off him, perhaps uh, landing somewhere else, you can go visit those odds. You got the same thing for Kyrie Irving. If he doesn't end up with Brooklyn next season, the Lakers are actually on that list and DeAndre Ayton's next team as well. If he and Phoenix end up parting ways, it certainly seemed like things did not end well for him in that last playoff game. So bet online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today, use your mobile device, learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the games start. So what do you think? You, you know, I have my concerns about the Lakers job and, and the Lakers franchise from as somebody who just kind of watches and sees it and whatever, because I think your perspective is probably not that much different than some of the people who are also kind of external and inside the league and, and all that. Um, what do you think when you look at the Lakers of where they are and how they've done stuff and, and how appealing this job might be going forward? Well, I, I think I messaged you guys a few times through the season and said that I was watching your show and listening to your show just to see what the reaction was. Because I honestly found myself, uh, there was either people, if you're not a Lakers fan, there was either people that were like, why are the Lakers on TV all the time? Or there was people like me that were just like, I don't want to miss a second of this because I don't know what's going to happen next. And it wasn't even purely from, I'm not someone, I don't care if the Lakers win or lose. Like it's not, it doesn't change my day, but I just thought it was so fascinating, the dynamic of this team. So again, uh, big picture, but while we tie it all into Darvin Ham, that's why I think it's so interesting because I don't think for someone that's been an assistant for so long, he's in a position to say, I, I don't think I'm going to take that job. Like, I think that I think he has to take the job because how, you can't walk I, away. I don't, but like, I don't, not to cut you off, but like, I think I was gonna, before the break, I was gonna, I was thinking in my head, like, he should, if they try to do the, 
you know, two years in an option or something like I that know. or whatever. He should say no. This is your staff. This is the staff you're going to have. Um, right. The Lakers have a, a have a you. history of of trying to put people on. If they say, "Well, you're not a first, you're a first time head coach. We need to help you with this," so I'd be like, "F that," because your track record of putting people on staffs and keeping coaches around is really bad over the last few years. And if this is my shot to do it, <laughs> I almost question your judgment in hiring me. <laughs> because he, yeah, doesn't really, he is up for the Charlotte job. And if it's not this year's job, and this is a really bad year to be a, you know, but last year there were what, eight openings in the off season. Next year, there could be five or six. This isn't the only, I, I, I don't, I think he can say no. I think the Lakers are a job that you can say no to now. If, the the infrastructure that you're given by management isn't good enough well i guess that's what he has to weigh up internally like for me i look at a guy that's been in three or four different head coaching races before the the new candidates are going to continue to come and we have seen this before where some coaches are in multiple years multiple uh, you know finalists as head coaches yeah and then they just never get their shot and if the lakers are sitting there as mm-hmm. much as we would say they're a bit of a train wreck right now it's the lakers and that has there has to be some it's, attraction there because if it works, then you're set for right. a long time. And it's I'm also sorry, why I don't mean to say that there's nothing appealing about the job. For sure, that's for sure. absolutely not true. And it's you know, you start with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yes, yes. I'm just right. saying, like, I, I do think their problem, I think Andy, has been that they look at the Lakers coaching job as something mm-hmm. that nobody on that side of it has any leverage to dictate their terms at all which is by the way why ty Lue is coaching the clippers and not the yeah ab- absolutely but to kane's point it, it's similar to the way players often are very reluctant to take a league minimum deal and it's not just about the money it's about once you are seen as a league mm-hmm. minimum guy it can often be very difficult to lose that perception even when you are clearly better than that and deserve more than that so a lot if you are seen as an assistant for a long time and especially Mm -hmm. seen as an assistant that's done interviews and for whatever reason hasn't gotten hired after a while that just might become your lane right especially like you say like what's the difference between like you know him and say charles lee who is like you mentioned him earlier in the show kane briefly appeared kind of on this uh lakers search but he's I want to say he's 37. He's very young um, and is very widely respected. Um, you know, does he become kind of the guy that ends up uh, pushing out Darwin or the Darwins of the world if they don't take a job like this one? Yeah, and I would assume if Darwin does take this job and Charles uh, remains with the Bucks, then I would have to assume that Charles Lee will move up to the lead assistant role in Milwaukee. He'll be doing the stuff that Darwin was doing, and whoever the next assistant is will will do more of the of working with the younger players, working with the film stuff. So I assume that's the way it'll go. Do you think uh, Darwin could poach him? Like who who on that staff do you think Darwin could poach? Because that's always something I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he would love. I'm sure he would love Charles Lee. I mean, one of the things with with Mike Boonholzer over a number of years is that he's generally had the same guys. A lot of the guys came from Atlanta to Milwaukee. Now he's lost uh, Jenkins, as we've already mentioned, potentially about to lose uh, Darvin Ham. So for the Bucks, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. They could probably use a few different voices in, in the locker room as well. It might help them. But, uh, I mean, Darvin's been multiple teams, 
been around the league for over two decades, so I'm sure that uh, I'm sure he'd be able to put together a good staff if he could. The one thing I'll just quickly say with the with the Lakers when you asked about the situation from the outside, to me, what makes it so challenging is that I, I see people talking about the Anthony Davis trade and all that kind of stuff, and was it a mistake? Well, first of all, I, I just find that absolutely absurd because uh, when they traded Anthony Davis or traded for Anthony Davis, I mean, the idea is that when LeBron gets to the point in the next two seasons, then Anthony Davis is your star for the next five and the franchise is completely set. But to me, forget the Russell Westbrook mess. To me, they just seem like a franchise where Anthony Davis hasn't taken it and Mm -hmm. they they need him to take it. And, And he hasn't done it. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. So for a new coach coming in, they're probably going to have to be in the middle of this situation where Westbrook is over the back and he wants to do whatever he wants to do. And then you've got Anthony Davis and LeBron. And does LeBron want to let it go? Is Anthony Davis ready to take it? And that's what makes it so volatile. Yeah, but it still ends up not a mistake. It may be a mistake in evaluation of AD's either readiness or the ability to stay healthy to take on whatever. But once you win a championship, the move doesn't end up a mistake. I wanted to ask you, though, like speaking of the stars with the Lakers and also with the Bucks, you guys have you know, arguably the best player in the league in Giannis, but also arguably the lowest maintenance uh, superstar in the <laughs> league. And then, you know, the second highest guy on that food chain is Chris Middleton, another guy who's, you know, he's almost a lifer, but also has a reputation for being pretty low maintenance. Drew Holiday is considered a pretty low maintenance guy, even like a former all-star like Brooke Lopez, you know, the superstar, but there's still superstar dynamics that go along with any superstar. And I, Tim Duncan, there were dynamics. Steph, there are dynamics. I don't care how low maintenance you are. How do you think working with a Giannis potentially prepares Darvin Ham for working with somebody like LeBron, who I think we can agree is not low maintenance? Well, I think the one thing that that Giannis and LeBron would have in common is competitive number one and the way that they prepare number two and and the fact that they're both being guys historically that don't want to have nights off never want to be off the floor and and i think that that's been something that all the bucks coaches whether it's bud whether it's darvin ham they've all had to speak about the fact that it always comes from a good place with Giannis in terms of what he wants and the outcome that he wants but sometimes he can't do absolutely everything himself. He can't play 48 minutes per night. Some nights he can't play injured and he would have pushed through stuff that I'm sure LeBron has done, you know, throughout his entire career. So I think uh, one of the things that Darwin has spoken about in the past is uh, not just disagreeing with a player for the sake of disagreeing, but also not just agreeing with a player for the sake of agreeing. And the fact that he's had Hmm. that high level experience Hmm. with a superstar, with a genuine top three in the world player, I think holds him in at least good stead. Now, I will say I think LeBron and Giannis are a little bit different in other aspects in terms of, uh, I, I don't know what the right word is. I mean, Giannis is probably the the lowest ego superstar that maybe the league has ever seen in terms of he's more worried about his family. He doesn't care There's about more eggshell walking with LeBron. I think so. And, and yeah, I think look, so. It's, not always a, it's not always a detriment or, you know, something you would consider automatically negative about that player. You know, no. you walked on, we covered Kobe. You walked on eggshell. There was a lot of eggshell walking around Kobe, <laughs> but the good with Kobe far outweighed the bad, and Kobe earned that leverage that he had with the organization. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's not it, saying that a guy is high maintenance doesn't automatically mean 
that they're either a diva or not accountable. It just means yeah. they're higher maintenance. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. And I think in some ways, Giannis, it might not be in the same ways, but again, in terms of you know the management of him and him maturing and understanding what's the best way to win. LeBron's already been through that, uh, but I think that there are some similarities there with the mindset, with the mentality um, that you would think um, would would help him. My my last question for you, Kane, like we, we've spent, I don't know, Andy, how many weeks now kind of focusing on the coach and who's going to be the coach and where they should go with the coach. Are and you counting kind of the stuff. time we knew Vogel was going to get fired? Right. So the last <laughs> seven months we've spent doing this. Um, you guys are in a fascinating situation in the sense that like a year ago, basically if Bud doesn't make the finals, I mean, the, the, the perception was widely that he'd be canned. Um, and now he, he's a guy who's won titles. He's, you know, he's, he's there and he's gotten a real live, like actual extension and all that stuff. How much does the head coach matter in this stuff? Like, you know, we spent a ton of time on it. Um, Bud went from almost fired to, championship and i guess indispensable frank vogel went from totally dispensable to championship coach to completely disposable in like a year and a half so when we sit here and we have these conversations how much are they they worth relative to the questions like you were bringing up earlier who's on your team stuff like that who's running the organization what's the culture all that stuff well in terms of being a perennial contender uh, and you guys will know this there's nothing more important than having a Giannis or having a LeBron. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that the other factor that's been so important with the Bucks over the last few years is the absolute zero drama factor. And if you talk about how a coach can have success and how he can stay off the hot seat and how he can he can have a relationship with the GM, with the front office, uh, it is not having a problem with your number one star and it's having a locker room that is together. And to me, that's been the biggest problem with the Lakers, obviously with Frank Vogel, where the pressure was coming from, probably all angles. But for Bud, uh, my view on him is that he's a top 10-ish coach in the league when you compare experience, what he's been able to do in the regular uh, season. And then if you have the superstars that can take over a series, and if you have health, and if you have luck, the Bucks didn't have health this year with Chris Milton out. Uh, last year, they had luck. And they also had Giannis, who's a freak, and nearly slapped his leg in half and still came out and played. But to me, coaching is important if you have a, a, a top-level coach. I think Bud is at least a top-10 coach. And then he has the relationship with the superstar player, with the franchise, and the rest of the locker room. And that the relationship side of things and managing people, to me, is is always going to be as, in, as important as almost anything. Ultimately, this is the guy that that the Lakers are going to hire. I think that's where where I think they're looking for reasons to hire him. And just he's you know. the guy you and I have both wanted them to hire, Brian, among the guys who've been linked most heavily to the Lakers. And, and you know, both of us wrote him a very strong letter of recommendation, which I'm yes. sure will go a long way <laughs> in the front office. Um, it was all about getting him on this podcast, just like Kane got him. <laughs> That's right. Um, Kane Pittman, he is the co-host of Locked on Bucks. Thanks so much for, for coming on, man, and 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 giving us the insight uh, into Darwin. Um, we both have longer off seasons than than probably we we expected. Let's let's find a way to do something like this again. Anytime, and uh, it's always a pleasure. I think you guys said it. It's difficult to evaluate coaches from the outside and uh, from the press box or the stands or whatever it is. So hopefully, uh, some value there. Absolutely. Um, Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you go to get it uh, and, and see all of this happening. Uh, so make sure you subscribe there. We'll see everybody on Thursday.